Hi and welcome to the Homeopathy Health Show. I'm Atik Ahmad Bhatti, a fourth generation homeopath with over 25 years of professional experience and practice in this field of healing. The Homeopathy Health Show is the online voice of homeopathy around the world, promoting and raising awareness of this truly unique system of healing, which is suitable for all ages, young and old. Every week I invite guests from the world of homeopathy to come and share their experiences, their work, offer insights and essentially talk all things homeopathy. Why not visit www.liketreatslike.co.uk and click on the radio and podcast button to listen to the latest episodes. So let's begin today's show here on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio. Hi and welcome to another episode of the Homeopathy Health Show here on UK Health Radio and I'm your host Atik Amadbati. I do hope you're well. I have a splendid episode for you today. I'm speaking to my guest this week, Jonathan Stalick, who is a homeopath from the UK. Now, Jonathan has over 40 years of experience in homeopathy as and has learned from some of the greats, including Rajan Sankaran and Jan Scholten. And he has done an extensive amount of work treating patients from around the world uh, with AIDS and HIV. And we are going to be talking about that in the podcast today. Jonathan also spent a year working at Ainsworth's homeopathic pharmacy and has extensive experience teaching around the world. So, without further ado, let's move to today's guest, Jonathan Stalick. Jonathan, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Hey, Atik. Nice to, nice to be here as well. We've uh, we've had some fun, haven't we, just before this recording. So yeah. uh, we, we'll have to share with everybody because... Uh, A it's wide range of subjects was covered. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything from anything, I think, it yeah. started. Uh, Jonathan, like I ask all my guests first time around, and I must say that the stories so far have been uh, incredible and very motivating and inspiring. What's your journey to homeopathy? How did I get involved in homeopathy in the first yeah, place? Yeah, how did you first come across homeopathy? Yeah, um, so, well, I, you know, like a lot of people, I was going through my own troubles. Um, and, I, you know, my uh, sister had passed away. And a few things all came together, basically. A few difficult times. I was 23, I think, at the time. A few things came together, caused me a lot of anxiety. Um, and I, you know, I... I went to the doctors and was just about to start taking antidepressants. And I thought, no, I, I really don't want to do this. And then I, it was homeopathy was just a word that I'd heard my mum talking about, actually, through, through a friend of hers. And I just thought, <clears throat> maybe I'll try and go and see a homeopath. I went to see actually a, an Indian doctor in Baker Street in London um, who uh, took my case. And I was very interested. Yeah, the questions it wasn't called Sherlock me. Holmes, I hope. He wasn't called Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> his name was Sherlock, but he was definitely in Baker Street. Okay. Um, and uh, he gave me, I think the first remedy he gave me was Silica 200 uh, four times a day for a, mu- a month, month or two, uh, four times a day, and alternating with Califos 200, um, I think four times a day. So it was a kind of quite a heavy prescription. Um, but anyway, I found I started to feel a bit better. 
And then I started reading up about it. And when I started reading, it was like uh, something hit me between the eyes. It was like, oh, my God, this is something I've been I've been meant to, you know, find this. This was this is felt it feels very meaningful. And and it and I just loved the whole kind of philosophy. And it was like a whole world that I, I didn't know existed. And so it's very exciting. And then I started um, my poor family became my guinea pigs. And I started treating them you know, for all their little ailments. In fact, my family were sick anyway, a pretty sick family um, chronically. Um, so, but you know, first of all, it was just yeah, first aid stuff. And then I got more and more sort of involved and interested and then found there was the, the course, um, Robert Davison's course, um, the, and I just thought I, I was at the time I was, um, you know, I was a, a professional cellist before uh, uh, being a homeopath and I, was actually a bit unhappy with my work i think the the i think it i had a romantic idea about what that work would involve and i, I wasn't enjoying it and so when homeopathy came along i thought okay i need to put more energy into this and i went to the college and then just decided to take the plunge and and do it professionally so that's how i got it that's how i got involved yeah <clears throat> so that's a really fascinating story and uh, I found often, actually, this is, has been certainly the, the thread along um, many of the uh, introductions to homeopathy by homeopaths, which is a family illness and then a friend referred such and such, or they found a book in the library by chance, right, or yeah. somebody mentioned it in a shop or by passing, yeah. even an advertisement in a newspaper, believe it yes, or not. Yes, right, right. And, uh, they are fascinating stories. And um, often people have said it's it's a calling. It's like... It just happens at the right time, and as a result of that, no one, no one goes back. It, it's homeopathy, and and they just move forward with it. You know, it's funny, you know, because when I was a child, I had a big interest in sort of magic, but also in conjuring. I had uncles who were sort of uh, used to show me magic tricks, and I was very into sort of magic and you know conjuring. And but also, I had. I remember saying to my grandmother who had diabetes, I said, you know, granny, one day I'm going to, um, I was only about five or something. I said, one day I'm going to be a research scientist and I'm going to find a cure for you. And so, and it feels like, you know, magic, homeopathy is a bit like magic and science together. So in a way, kind of, even with, even at a young age, I was kind of maybe going in that sort of direction. Interesting. So. It, you're, you're right though, because um the results are certainly magical, aren't they? Even they I'm be, left uh, yes. stunned sometimes, and I'm sure that's the case yeah. with you. Some, you know, people's some people's uh, illnesses just sort of disappear um, like magic. It's not always the case, but um, sometimes it happens, and they are as amazed as I am all the time. Mm. You know, so, and it's so rewarding as well, isn't it? That's the thing. It's it's. I find. I mean, you know, it's a little bit. Um, I tend to be my mood tends to be as good as my last patient so if i've had a good result i feel very good i but if i if i haven't had a good result then i then i feel feel a bit bad about it so um but it can be you know when you get the good results it's absolutely wonderful and you know it's just wonderful you know it's it's um allowing people their freedom to live the life they want to choose to choose is um cannot you you know there's nothing better really that's very eloquently put, actually, and uh, I suppose we all echo your uh, your sentiments there. That when um, a case goes well, of course, there's there's this joy, and it's 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 uh, 
it's very humbling. It's the joy of what you've just literally said is somebody can get on with their life and their health is restored. And and then, of course, there are challenging cases. Of course, there are, um, mm. which which can, of course, uh, sometimes be, let's say, literally challenging. You know, uh, a lot of work is required by the patient, by the practitioner. And it's uh, yeah, sometimes it's uh, it is about I mean, I think homeopathy requires does require patience by both the uh, by the prescriber and the pa- patient themselves. Um, it, it's not always, you know, sometimes it is like layers of an onion and you have to, you know, and it takes time sometimes to find the, the correct remedy. You know, I think, um, I, I think, yeah, even the great Jan Scholten, I mean, I think he had a case where he gave, I think it was hundreds of remedies before he reached the, the correct remedy. So, you know, but the, the patient uh, maintained their faith and, um, you know, they got there in the end. Wonderful. You mentioned uh, Jan Scholten, and he will be on the podcast hopefully later this year, okay. um, which I'm okay. very much looking forward to. Yeah, he's great. But you mentioned you've, um, and I know from, from what you've just said, you've also attended in your early days some seminars, which were by Jan, and also uh, Louis Klein from Canada. Mm. Who's mm. written several books, mm. uh, very, very inspiring books, I must say, including yes. the latest fish remedies for, uh, for <clears throat> mental health yeah. conditions and, and so forth. Yeah, um, I mean, um, Jan is um, is a bit of a genius. Um, I think he's um, uh, he has an incredible mind. And also, I mean, he seems to have... Uh, this work capacity to work all hours of the day and night. I mean, the, the amounts he's so prolific in his work and he's, you know, to have cataloged the whole plant kingdom is, is just crazy. It's a lifetime's work, but he did it in the space of a few years. So he, he is pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, I think um, we sometimes run the risk in homeopathy. I mean, I, I, I admire the, um, the, the idea that homeopathy should be simple and it should be, uh, you know, it should be easy. And, and certainly, you know, that's what we were taught by Robert Davidson that, you know, it doesn't have to be difficult. It can be easy, but I think the craft of homeopathy, I, I find I'm learning all the time that the cases I can help become maybe deeper and uh, more complex as time goes on. Uh, that I would not have been able to even approach maybe in my early days. So um, I think, what am I trying to say? I'm, I think that there's the idea that there's a, a craft in homeopathy that I think we need to get back to. I think there's um, the idea, you know, that we shouldn't just rely on keynote prescribing. Um, I do believe there's a craft in understanding the case um, at a deep level is really important even before you sort of like give a remedy so understand what is what is really going on in a case um and n- not throwing remedies at, at people you know i mean we've all done it but i think if we can uh yeah there's there's this idea of the craft you know learning your craft and becoming an expert of your craft i think is really important i think recently one of your workshops actually covered that didn't it uh, helping um people with taking helping homeopaths with uh, case taking and uh, yes yeah, so, so what's, what's your style and, and yeah, take on this i find you know i find the case uh, supervision and case uh, management really interesting and talking to homeopaths and students about their cases gives me an insight into 
the issues that come up. I think I think sometimes we rush to, for example, get a rubric, or we want to sort of like we want to perhaps solve it so quickly that we rush to the easiest things, and and also that maybe we rely on the remedies we know, and we try and squeeze our cases into those remedies. Very, we all do it as well. I've done it. We all do it. You know, it's it's uh, it's very. It's an easy thing, you know, in lycopodium as a remedy. I mean, you could squeeze almost any remedy, in, uh, any any patient into that remedy. You know, it's such a broad, such a, if you read the books, it's got such a broad picture now. But um, I find that, um, you know, when I'm doing repertorization, I find that I tend to put to one side all the polycrests because they're going to come up. They're going to come up. Mm. It's, I'd normally just go along my the little graph and find maybe see what some of the smaller remedies that are coming up and then maybe examine examine those. I don't dismiss, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, um, I keep my feet on the ground. You know, I'm not one of these people that has to provide an unusual, uh, has to prescribe an unusual remedy. You know, I, I'm happy just getting, finding the right remedy for that patient and whether it's a polycrest or whether it's a small remedy or whatever. I'm a little bit sceptical when I see just the, you know, when I, when I just see the polycrest coming up, I'm a little bit sceptical about that. And I tend to, hold back take a step back and just sort of see whether that really does fit so one of the things that Lou Klein just we talked about you, you mentioned Lou Klein and one of the things I think that he taught me was about recognizing that the remedy may be a remedy that's not even been proven I mean it's like if you keep an open mind who knows where where this remedy uh is going to come from uh, it may it may not be a, a proven remedy. So it's like thinking out, allowing yourself to think outside the box. I was very skeptical about new remedies, to be honest, to, to a degree. I I mean, yes, I could I could swallow the <laughs> the periodic table remedies of Jan Scholten because that felt okay. That was pretty logical. But then when you had like you know I don't know spiders web and and I don't know mobile phone and you know I was thinking really are these real are these real remedies are they really going to but working with Lou uh, taught me how amazing those you know TV emanation for example computer emanation really really interesting remedies and have their place as well so I, I he taught me to really think uh, to keep an open mind um, rather than try and yes yeah, squeeze remedies into your into your polycrests it's a it's a very uh sensible way of working actually and i i myself have uh, found for example not with the newer remedies perhaps but um if we take three remedies let's say arsenicum naxomica and in between that sits this remedy called uh, okubaka and yeah. i found many a time that that remedy works so much better very than, good let's say good, even if arsenic and nux were indicated okubaka yes is brilliant because yes, it's it not very well known is it no, no, it's um, it's one of the remedies that the guild, the, the guild of homeopaths, has promoted. But it is, yeah, it's a great, great remedy for all kinds of, sort of allergies and and um, indi- stomach upsets and mm. uh, that sort of thing. Bad uh, response to to drugging, for example. Mm. Um, we used it. I used it a little bit for, with my AIDS work when I was out in Africa. We used Okubaka sometimes when there was a lot of drugging, a lot of ill effects from drugging. We used it. Um, I tell you something, this, we're going to go off on tangent here, but uh, I gave Okubaka to a patient and I'll never forget it because I said Okubaka and they replied back with Chewbacca. I said, no, <laughs> I said, it's not Star Wars. I said, it's a remedy. It's called Okubaka. Yeah, it's, from Afri- it's from West Africa, blah, blah, blah. But the way that they said it was so funny because they misheard me, of course, you know. 
and and the look on their face like, is he just made he's going to give me a stormtrooper next you know and <laughs> it's not that <laughs> i i completely went off there but jonathan it's interesting also to note that you had spent or some good time actually ainsworth's homeopathic yeah see i'm uh, coming across a lot of guests on the show who've spent time at ainsworth's interestingly enough so you make it sound uh, like a prison sentence <laughs> no 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 absolutely not <laughs> Tony Pinkus has been on. Um, Tony, yes. Yagoda, you will know, and, and some others as well. Yes, I know Tony very well. We, it, it was, I was there actually when Mr. John Ainsworth, who was the, you know, the founder of Ainsworth, was still alive, and he was, he was there. So I, I knew John Ainsworth. And Tony was his, uh, he's one of the under-pharmacists at the time, before he, before he took it over. Um, and, yeah, it was great. I was there, I think, 1995. I think it was there 19, 1995, only for about a year, I think I was there. Um, it was pretty fascinating. Uh, of course, at the time I was studying studying homeopathy at that time, and what I wanted to do was to be, you know, was to uh, be customer-facing. I wanted to sort of sort out everyone's problems. I found I burnt out because, you know, standing in a shop trying to sort out everyone's problems, in a, you know, um, all day long, was was knackering i mean it was just it was exhausting and uh, yeah so i but it was great fun we actually i was there at the time of the there was a big whooping cough outbreak i think it was that was the last whooping cough outbreak so that was in 95 i think it was hmm. and so we had very it was very interesting uh, you know we were advising a lot of people about um, homeopathy for whooping cough and getting a lot of feedback about, I mean, people, had, uh, kids that had the vaccination often were no better than the kids that had homeopathy. In fact, the kids with homeopathy often got better, you know, were, did much better than the kids who'd had the vaccination. So that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, it was, um, it was interesting times. And uh, it was a, a real, it, it's because it's, you're on the front line, you know, you've got to just think on your feet and so it was a great experience, you know, for, yeah, in, in, especially for acute prescribing. It was a great, great experience. Mm. And what did you do afterwards? You went, I believe, into practice? Yeah, so I, um, well, I was already, hang on, what was that? Where was that? That was, oh, no, hang on, wait a minute. I was there at 85. Sorry, I was 80, I'm not 95, in 1985. So I was in, I, no, I wasn't in practice. I was still studying uh, when I was at Ainsworth. And then became friendly with Mike Strange, who I, uh, who was well-known at the time. Uh, he worked in Clapham, one of the clinics in Clapham in South London. And he had a lot of people with H uh, HIV patients mm. in the very early days when no one else was taking on those cases. He was taking them on. And I got to know him. I think I went and sat in with him. And then uh, we became quite friendly and he... He was seeing so many patients. He decided to offload some of his new, uh, some of his new patients to me. So it was a great starting place, and I started practicing in that. Yeah, so that was uh, that's how I that's how I started. But um, uh, I then took about. I kind of burnt out again. I I think I used to throw myself in. My boundaries weren't that good, and I sort of suffered because of that. And then so I took a break. And then came back in 1990. That's when I started my HIV and AIDS work. And where did that take you? What did you, uh, what did you experience at that time? Because that must have so, been an eye opener. Yeah. So 
and it was never anything that I had in mind or but I was invited to a uh, a centre where uh, users for users of HIV uh, for HIV and, a, and AIDS sufferers, and decided I wanted to. I, I wasn't practicing at the time, but I decided I'd quite like to give a talk at this centre. And the guy, the um, the manager, thought that was a great idea. So I went along, gave this talk on homeopathy, and uh, went down really well. They people, the, the guys, all loved it. And um, the manager asked if I would come and see patients there and my first response was no I mean you know it's crazy I mean no you know it's too too difficult and I I, you know, I, did, I wasn't confident so I said no but he was very persuasive and said look you know you can just come for a few weeks see how you get on you know there's no obligation and that's what I did I, I went along started seeing patients my very first patient was a guy uh, it's, it's, it's in my book. I've, I wrote, wrote a book called AIDS, The Homeopathic Challenge, some, some, some of your listeners might have come across. And this guy has was the sickest person I've ever met. I mean, he was, he'd had um, operations for bowel cancer. He'd had kidney failure. He'd um, had sort of lots and lots of, um, you know, STDs. Uh, he'd had a history of abuse, uh, really bad abuse in his childhood. And they gave him, his T-cell count was, you know, was very, very low. Hmm. And they said he's going to die within a couple of months. And so I just thought, I suppose my, my attitude was, well, you know, this guy, I mean, I've got nothing to lose really. We well, Let's see what, let's see how, what we can do. And I started you know, giving him remedies and he he when he came to me he was suffering he'd had an operation for this bowel cancer where they had to cut his sphincter his rectal sphincter um and he was in a lot of pain he couldn't sit down even very very easily so i gave him um, a few remedies including some staphylococcus and he came back pain all went very very quickly his t cell count rocketed went up by about 250% and after you know we we sort of, i treated him a few times gave him all kinds of different remedies for age and all kinds of different remedies and he was so well he decided to travel the world having been given up as dead the next thing i heard was he'd been murdered in mallorca i felt very happy that I mean, given him the freedom to travel at the, mm. you know, um, when everyone else had given up for dead. Um, Absolutely. It was very gratifying. And so that gave me a lot of confidence, I think, in going forwards. And I saw about 500 uh, patients uh, in two centres in London. I did a sort of review and a, a sort of audit of my cases. And I think it was about 50%. I got, you know, I made significant difference in 50% of cases. And that's including a lot of people just would come once and wouldn't even come back. So I, you know, some people just were itinerant, just yeah, passing through and didn't come back. So, um, so at least fifty percent of people did really, really well. It's uh, what's interesting also here is that you know you mentioned about confidence and with homeopathy, but it was it's good to be at the deep end, I think, because it's the best way to learn mm. when it's uh, when it's a challenging environment. I remember when I was uh, doing clinical experience with, with my uncle, for example, and uh, it was patient after patient, and it wasn't just physical patients, it was phone calls as well, and, and it was non-stop. And, you know, when you're in that, when you're in a deep end, it's like almost, fortunately for homeopaths, I mean, we, we don't sink. I, I, say, I say that in, in the nicest way, 
because the need and the desire and the compassion is there to help everybody, right? Maybe in the early days, like you said, it you know one has to be very careful how they tread because you can burn out because it does take its toll. But uh, it's the best experience to have that uh, those few months or those few years where you're just inundated with everything mm. from the Absolutely. cold to something like an autoimmune disorder. You know, it's yeah. That's why I enjoyed Ainsworth because it was sort of one person after another. And, you know, it was, it's like you're having to think, you know, it's a great exercise um, regime for the, for the mind. I think the, the boundaries thing is um, quite interesting. I found that one has to keep it very much it's a, as, as a mental thing with homeopathy. Um, if you, once you start getting involved emotionally, that's when trouble starts. I think you've got to sort of somehow be the, the neutral observer. Mm. Um, and then you can do the job, you know, because it's a job that needs to be done. When I was doing the HIV and AIDS work, of course, you know, the people I was having, say, eight patients a day, all uh, thinking they were going to die. Mm. Um, and that could be, I mean, and I did again, I burnt out when I was uh, doing the, the AIDS work in these centers. <clears throat> but so uh, I remember one particular guy um who was um african who uh he was the he was a distant relative of haile selassie um of ethiopia who was the leader in ethiopia at the time he this guy had been taken into a concentration camp and been thoroughly abused um in horrible ways and he'd come out with he had uh, tb and syphilis and i don't know all kinds of i mean he was just a mess and he was absolutely panic stricken he was in a terrible kind of he was in a bit of a uh, yeah panic state and i remember but when i when i listened to his case i realized i could help my it had a quite a clear picture i gave him uh, some stramonium opium and aconite and the following week he came back and he was like a different person i mean he was he was uh, chatting and he was just happy and uh, you know, he was just so it was the, the they he was stay, they had a residential unit at the um, at one of these centres, and the nurses were like, we can't believe, you know, he's a, like a different person. Yeah, you have to be able to see a little bit beyond what the patient sees. I suppose that's the thing. Mm. See what the possibilities are, and the possibilities are indeed endless, and that's the beauty yes, of homeopathy. Exactly. And and with all uh, the you know the greatest uh, admiration and respect for all the homeopaths who. Who come up with these different systems and techniques and because it shows you it's uh it's an evolving art and it, it has you know it's it's something that will always be added to now and very much into the future it's that how brilliant is that you know we were talking a bit earlier about cows and treating you know agri, agri homeopathy and treating animals and I had a, an interesting, I went to treat, uh, to teach in Ireland and I was staying on a farm with a, a, one of the homeopaths, homeopathic students. And she had a, um, a herd of cows and they were calving at the time. And so all the, all the calves were in the, the, the barn and the, the, the mums, as it were, were in the farmyard and they were going crazy, you know, as, as is normal. They were sort mm. of going, they were completely um, bereft of their calves and they were making a huge noise mooing. And, and so I, I had, a, I, at the time I'd started using a, the remedy maker machine, you know, this uh, radionics uh, machine, I don't know if you use that. Um, 
And so I said, look, should we try an experiment? Let's let's see if we can do something for these cows. So there was no way we could give. Um, I mean, your you know, yeah. I mean, we could have put something in the in the uh, trough, but we didn't. I, I decided the best way of doing it was to get a piece of fur of one of the cows and use that as a witness for to project the remedy to the whole herd. So I we we the remedy we came up with was Ignatia. And so we we made a made this uh, Ignatia and projected it to the herd. We had the herd in front of us. They were all in this farmyard, all sort of making this horrendous noise. And we projected this Ignatia to the herd. Within maybe two minutes, the whole herd went completely quiet. It was unbelievable. I mean, they went even though the calves were making a noise, they went completely calm and unbelievable. <laughs> That's that. That's a uh, that's a really really interesting story, you know, uh, Jonathan. I'm. Uh, it's interesting to note that you have taught at a, a number of colleges, homeopathic colleges in the UK. So, how has that experience been, and what have you sort of? What are the topics or subject matters? Enjoyed. I mean, I've taught at colleges in the UK and abroad, and I think one of the when I um, was doing my AIDS work. <clears throat> that's when I sort of got particularly busy. I think everyone wants to hear my about my experiences. And this was in the 1990s, uh, when most homeopaths were, weren't touching uh, HIV and AIDS. I went to a, uh, some quite classical, I mean, I was doing some quite unusual things using multiple remedies and multiple nosos and all kinds of weird stuff. Um, although I, I think of myself as a classical homeopath at the time, I just felt the need to experiment with different ways of prescribing to find what work really works for the, especially for these kind of guys. Um, but I, I went um, also to New Zealand and I went and I went to teach at the Auckland college of classical homeopathy. Now they are very classical. I mean, they'd had, you know, and they'd had real, some real star celebrity homeopaths like Vitalkas and Sankaran and, and had preceded me. And so they got this guy from England that they didn't know anything about. They just liked the idea, I think, of the AIDS work. And that's why they invited me to come over and, and, and uh, teach. But they didn't know anything about me. And when I arrived, I kind of got a bit nervous. I, I one, It was the first time I'd done a two-day seminar. And I was a bit worried I wouldn't have enough material. And I, anyway, when the when the day came, I I just you know went did my stuff, and actually people loved it. I mean, all the the people you know the all the uh, the students were absolutely just loved it. That was quite an interesting experience. Nice and uh, New Zealand's quite a beautiful place, no doubt. Uh, you've been yeah, there, so it was, uh, it was a it was a great experience. And I, yeah, I, I came back via. Uh, Australia uh, met um, a guy called Alan Jones, who was a very interesting homeopath, who'd also been treating a lot of HIV and AIDS. So I wanted to meet him, and he was he was very interesting. Had some very inter- interesting protocols, and um, I learned a lot from him and too. So everyone's got their own views and expertise, you know, that you can learn from. You've also done a number of radio shows, haven't you? And um, guest lecturing, there's, there's so much uh, that you have achieved. So what are your fond memories, recent fond memories, let's say? Um, do you remember, I went to South Africa in, I think it was 98. Again, I was invited for the AIDS work. And I was invited by the top, um, there was a radio show 
on on one of the Johannesburg uh, radio stations. Um, I can't remember the name of the lady that ran it, but she was very, very well known, very popular in South Africa. Mm. And she invited me to come on and talk about AIDS work and homeopathy. And she was only planning to do uh, like spend a few, uh, maybe 10 minutes. And we ended up spending a whole hour talking uh, about homeopathy. And also we invited listeners to phone in with their issues and that sort of thing. So that was kind of quite exciting. Um, really good. Wonderful. Yeah. I know that you also spend uh, some time with Homeopathy 247, which is uh, a number of my guests actually on the on the podcast have are, are serving under Homeopathy yeah. 247 at the moment. Yeah, so I think Mary is doing, Mary Greensmith, um, who runs, who's, you know, founder of Homeopathy 247, is doing a great job. You know, I think homeopaths, we sometimes lack the, the perhaps the business um, acumen or the business uh, expertise. We are full of great ideas. We're full of the compassion and full of um, creativity. But sometimes the the business mindedness is perhaps the last thing that people think about. And I think Mary is doing a fantastic job teaching homeopaths to become business people as well and how to make a good living so you can continue doing what you love and i think she's doing a great job so i've i've hooked up with them and i i'm finding it really really helpful i mean uh you know i i have run businesses myself but i'm usually better at marketing products rather than when it comes to marketing myself i tend to be a bit more a bit more nervous it's, it's um yeah selling uh you, you know uh, as a sort of selling therapy is a sort of sometimes can feel a bit weird but she's managed to package this and frame it in a way that is really approachable and really, really helpful, really useful and uh, getting results. So I'm quite excited about that. Great. Now, moving on to something a bit lighthearted, before the recording, I did find you on YouTube and you were playing the cello. And I didn't find you once. It was three times, I must say. I did count. So, yes, that's something of interest to me because... When Colin Griffith was on, before his journey to homeopathy, uh, he used to write classical music. And uh, it's quite interesting. So when I when I saw you physically playing the cello, I thought, this is interesting. And uh, there's a there's a good number of homeopaths who are who are and were musicians. You you know, Robert Bridge is a really good is a fantastic pianist. played with him uh, occasionally which has been which has been great yeah so i i mean that was my love at, uh, you know from my school days i um i loved playing the cello and and in fact originally i'll tell you this this is a this is a bit weird but i actually wanted to be a dentist originally that's weird that is weird <laughs> um why i mean now even now i'm sort of i think at the time this was during my secondary school time i think it was just the idea of working for yourself, doing a kind of craft, um, something that was going to bring in a good income, um, I think just uh, attracted me. And I got very good offers from the dental colleges as well, uh, but didn't quite get good enough grades because I basically hated science, my science subjects. I hated chemistry, I hated physics and biology. But I still passed, but I, yeah, wasn't. Um, and... But music, I was just was just an absolute passion for me, and I also did a a, a um, 
uh, an audition for Trinity College of Music in London. And they gave me an offer. And in the end, I took that and went for that. So that's how I ended up with music. Um, and I'm really glad I did that. I, I don't regret that. I don't think I wanted to be a dentist. <laughs> I think maybe I would have done that for a while and probably, yeah, maybe I would have uh, given that up, I think. But uh, yeah, music, music, and I still play. So yeah, and I, and I love playing and, it, and it's, um, it's a good uh, compliment to homeopathy, I think. It must be quite calming as well and soothing. Yes, exactly. I find it's a, it just, you know, again, it uses a different part of your mind and uh, your brain. So it, I just find, yeah, I can go and play some Bach or something like that. And it just sort of takes me out of, takes me out of what I've been worrying about or thinking about and gives me the rest that I need. Well, you must share a recording, which I can then share on the socials. Yeah. Uh, to link it to this podcast i think it's going to be nice to see that science. yes I'll, I'll find something good and yeah now something perhaps which i uh, certainly wasn't expecting which you mentioned to me is alongside the cello and homeopathy you're also called dj barefoot yeah. so <laughs> you've got to tell me some more don't say like that it's just, <laughs> no it's just brilliant it's i love it dj barefoot yeah um <laughs> I, uh, well, that came, I mean, that's a little bit of an, it was an unexpected uh, um, angle that I took. Um, I, um, it came about through Hilary, Hilary Dorian and I went into business and and set up a brand called Barefoot Botanicals, which I'm sure some of your your, uh, listeners might remember. Um, And we, we opened a shop and we decided to have some sort of background music. Um, and at first, I thought, well, well, we'll make it pretty classy. We'll put some Vivaldi on and Handel and, and uh, Mozart and stuff like that. And people stayed away in droves. I mean, they really, they, it was like a, it became a bit like a museum, you know, and it was just too highbrow for, mm-hmm. for a, health, it's a health food shop. Um, and so I thought, no, this isn't working. So I went to uh, one of the mega stores and I, I asked them for some suggestions for some background music that might work in a shop that was sort of upbeat um, and but could work as background. And the guy gave me a Latin compilation and some lounge a lounge compilation. Started putting those on, and people. It was amazing. This is the effect of music on people. People and and you could. There were certain pieces of music that would make people buy more. That was the amazing thing. You know, music has a very powerful effect, a subliminal effect as well. I think and the type of music that you play in a store has a sort of a certain, a certain effect. And so I had great fun, sort of choosing music that, that was going to make people buy more and that people liked. And 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 I then became sort of very interested. I was thinking, you know, I felt I could, you know, I felt like I was becoming a bit more like a DJ, you know, putting on this music and, you know, sort of surfing the mood and whatever. And uh, and so I decided to invest in some decks and just try and, you know, see how that worked. And then we had a, had a local bar and um, I did a sampler and they listened to it and they liked it. And I went, I was there every couple of weeks sort of spinning, spinning my, my tunes. <laughs> I um, love this. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it was, um, it was what the music I loved was, yeah, was this sort of uh, Latin Arabic um world music sort of lounge electro swing gypsy kind of quite an eclectic mix the kind of music that often 
people would sort of come up what is that piece i i've never heard that but it's just amazing that's great it's a great piece you know i don't know what it is but you know it's taking people again out of their their box maybe and making them listen to something a little bit different are you uh, are you still involved with that yeah i still do well i did some radio shows last year um for my local radio station in brighton i did about eight shows um which went really well and um i've I might. I've even had an uh, offer of going to Spain and doing a bit, but this summer. But I'm not sure. I'm trying to sort that out whether I whether I can do that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm open to it. So yeah, you know, I'll do weddings, bar mitzvahs. You know, I mean, whatever. (laughs) The homeopathic DJ. Yeah, homeopathic (laughs) DJ. Exactly. (laughs) I'm sure there's a remedy for that as well. There's a remedy for that. (laughs) There's an ointment for that. You can talk to me after the recording. Thank you. Might just do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's uh, it's actually really rewarding to know that you have a very, uh, it's a very varied career, and obviously the baseline is very much homeopathy. But uh, it's nice to see the variety there. You know, uh, yeah, and helping patients. Obviously, having hobbies and 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 downtime. Yeah, I like the variety. I like yeah. to like the variety in life. I think variety is the spice of life. It it is absolutely. So, what's on the horizon? Uh, any books? Actually, I haven't asked you, have I? Do you have any um, books on the horizon? Well, actually, <laughs> um, I did. In the middle of COVID, I one night I had a kind of delirium. I suppose you'd call. It. I don't know. I I had these dreams, or I had the. I don't know. If it's a dream or a imagination or something. But I had this idea in my. And so I wasn't thinking about I wasn't intending to think about this but I had this image of um an elephant um a baby elephant called bounce a bouncing elephant hmm. and it just came to me it was like a I don't know where it came from but this idea of the bouncing elephant and I could see the this picture on the front of this children's book and so in the morning I started just I thought I'll write something down just whatever comes to my mind and wrote a story uh wrote a, a story about bounce the baby elephant and I've, I'm going to have it published um, at some point. I started, it's a little bit more complex. You know, I, I jumped into it, but you have to find the right illustrator and, and, you know, the right sort of publishing aspect and all that sort of thing. But I intend to publish that. I've got that. I did a few test runs with it. I read, did a video of record um, reading of it and kids loved it. And so it was really, really, you know, it went down really well with sort of young kids. That is uh, sort of three to six year olds and um so i that's another yeah, another string to my bow which is quite fun did you say it's called bounce the bounce the baby elephant yeah but it does actually the story does involve kind of natural medicine as well so it's got that aspect in it so you know it's it's quite good maybe i'll send it i'll send that to you you can yes you can. i would love to share that with the listeners i think it's uh it's really yeah it's, sure it's very different actually i i must commend you on that it's it's uh you've got my interest i can't wait to you read have, it do you have kids or yes absolutely you got young kids they're not young but uh i'm the biggest child in the house yeah. i think to be honest so <laughs> maybe you'll read it first you know get in line as they say yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really really nice to know now i know you're also doing um a number of seminars aren't you so how are they getting along going well for you the webinars yes they're, they're pretty popular and um i think they're 
sort of variety of different subjects. It's usually um, about some of the materia medica, some of the maybe more unusual remedies, the, the road less travelled a little bit. Um, mm. I'm finding, yeah, and I'm doing some case management uh, webinars as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they're going well. Thanks. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Uh, fascinating conversation. And uh, I certainly hope that you will be back uh, in the near future and yeah, we can talk sure. a bit more about uh, what you've been up to. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. I do hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the Homeopathy Health Show. Please do support the show by clicking follow on my socials. Remember, the more exposure the podcast receives, the better for homeopathy around the world. You can find me on Instagram by searching for at like underscore treats like and on both Facebook and TikTok by searching for at like treats like. So let's promote the voice of homeopathy on radio and podcast around the world together. Don't forget to visit me online at www.liketreatslike.co.uk and click on the radio and podcast tab here you'll be able to see all the guests that have joined me on the show so far. And of course, you can stream on demand the latest episode to your mobile, tablet or PC. Until next time, stay safe and take care.